This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Lowe's knows you'll do it right. And do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tile starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Pavalli, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, absolutely positively amped up about the Utah Jazz co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. We have a lot to get to today, as per usual. I should stop saying that, and it should just be assumed that we're going to get to a lot and cover a lot of ground, unless I say otherwise. Uh, We do want to thank everyone for bearing with us on the last podcast, as we have changed mediums in an effort to make sure that we are being distributed to pretty much anywhere and everywhere you could feasibly listen to your podcasts. We are waiting on Spotify and iHeartRadio if you use that, so please give us a few weeks there. It looks like those are going to take a little while to get through, but still the biggest way you can help this pod, aside from listening to it so that we can look at the stats and feel good about ourselves, which we did not after that last podcast. That was just a the distribution error was weird, but please go to iTunes, search Hardwood Knocks in podcast, rate review and subscribe to us we really do appreciate it when we see the number of ratings go up we also really love it when when you guys leave comments um even some feedback is appreciated as well uh andy has teflon skin and i only bruise like an apple maybe i'm not really a peach i would say an apple has a little bit of a thicker skin so feel free to to do that you can also still get 15 percent off at the nba math shop that's nbamath.com slash shop promo code Benno should be easy, super easy to remember because Andy shouts him out every second of every minute of every hour of every day. But we move on to the question that everyone has been waiting for for the first two minutes of this intro. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing good. A little bit uh, nervous, cautiously optimistic about tonight's game between the Houston Rockets and the Utah Jazz. I didn't want to say anything after they lost game one, but I had this thought in my head that was like, what if they rip off three straight now, just like they did in the OKC series? But I didn't want to jinx it, so I didn't, I didn't put it out there in the air. And now I feel like I'm jinxing tonight's chances. I, I've already said too much. This series is <laughs> is super interesting now because the, it's the only one. You know, the, the Sixers-Celtics series, the Cavs-Raptors series, they've been entertaining 
and the Pelicans Warriors has been fine if you've enjoyed Stephen Curry just returning, but there they could easily all turn into blowouts, and this looks like one of the series, if not the only series, that could give us the six or seven game classic. Lowe's knows you'll do it right, and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right too, with up to forty percent off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, shower heads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Lowe's knows you'll do it right. And do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right, too, with up to 40% off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, shower heads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Maybe. I'm not ruling out the Sixer Celtics just yet, but um, that that's super encouraging. And I, I don't even know. I, I couldn't imagine Houston losing three in a row. Uh, I think they lost five in a row at one point during the regular season, but they're just the eventual three point variance is what continues to bug me the most. I don't know that the Jazz are going to be able to continue to outshoot them from the arc. At the same time, when you look, two things strike me. One is that Donovan Mitchell just causes chaos whenever he attacks the basket. It doesn't even like mm-hmm. even on turnovers, even on missed shots. Like the defense is just scrambling. And two, Joe Ingles and Jay Crowder are on some stuff. They're like Jay Crowder's taking step back threes all of a sudden. If they're gonna make those shots and and take those shots, I love when I see Joe Ingles get up like fifteen or, or more field goal attempts, which is never. It's like when it looks like he comes out aggressive like that. Those are the I guess would be the keys for me. If you could see the Jazz in game three kind of continuing to bridge that three point gap or like they did in game two actually win that battle, this series becomes like like whoa, Chris Paul may never see a conference finals. <laughs> um, Joe Ingles is taking over seven threes a game in the playoffs. He should double it. <laughs> I would be all for that. His three point percentage is fifty point nine. His true shooting percentage sixty seven point one. So you're <laughs> you are absolutely right. He's just been unbelievable. Um, and if they he's can also get more fifth than... in total plus minus for the playoffs, which is like crazy. Because if you look, yeah. the the first four come from the Warriors or the Rockets, and then it's Joe Ingles. <laughs> That's perfect. I actually did the uh, I posted his on off like net rating swing the other day, and it's huge. It was like I think they're plus twelve point something per hundred possessions when he's on the floor, and then like minus seventeen. When he's off, he, he's just been a huge part of uh, their success in the playoffs. And then Jay Crowder, somebody tweeted, I can't remember who it was, but after game one, they were like, it's not not a good thing if Utah's going to waste one of Jay Crowder's good shooting games. Um, they obviously got blown out in game one. And then for him to go back to back is like shocking because he couldn't hit anything in the OKC series. And if he's making shots, um, and I mean, it, it could just disappear again randomly in game three or, or at any point in the series. But if he's like even every other game hitting shots, they're a completely different team. 
Yeah, the I'm just he they've been outscored by almost six points per 100 possessions with him on the court for the playoffs, and and you yeah. can you can just see his offense coming and going, and even when he's kind of hot, he does he get in his bag too much where he starts taking these just oh, terrible shots. That Oklahoma so many City times I'm watching yeah. uh, Jay Crowder, and I'm like, please don't shoot that. <laughs> and he's like he's maybe the most confident shooter on the team right now. I'm sorry, that has to be Joe Ingles, forever Joe Ingles. He's just so confident well, that he doesn't like to shoot. It's too easy true. for him. Uh, <laughs> the way that the way that Crowder just like walks into shots and it, it just blows my mind sometimes that he can shoot as bad as he does and still just keep putting him up. But if he has games like he did in game one and two, like holy cow, this is a different team. Are you ready for what I consider the quintessential Jay Crowder stat comparison? Yes. For the playoffs, he is shooting 33.3% on catch-and-shoot looks, 36.1% when they're threes, effective field goal percentage of 48.8. On pull-up jumpers, he is shooting 60% for the playoffs. (laughs) That's awesome. 15 shot sample size, but that's almost... That's not huge, but that's almost two per game, which for Jay Crowder feels like a crap ton. Yeah, that really is. So um, he's shooting. Uh, I it, called him Jay Curry during one of these games, so uh, it makes sense if yeah, he's hitting all these pull-up Jays. He's hitting a higher percentage of his pull-up threes than he is of his catch-and-shoot threes. And NBA.com, I looked at like the specific shot breakdown, but when they look at just pull-ups, they say he's shooting 52.4% on pull-up jumpers overall and 2.6 attempts per game. That's still just, that's nuts if you even separate it further. So he's taking yeah. more than I thought and still hitting nuts. He's been, he's been so weird, just so weird. And it's funny how we were talking about Derek Favors all Oklahoma City series, and now it's now that you play the Rockets, it's they've gotten some okay minutes from him at center at points. I feel like, but it's it almost feels like playing him a ton or playing him and Rudy Gobert a ton just almost doesn't feel like an option anymore. It's yeah, it's way harder against the Rockets to play those two together. I looked up there uh, when when Gobert and Favors are on the floor, they're a pretty distinct minus in this series, and it's only two games. And and I, I have I looked up a lot of different plus minus stuff for the last couple of days, and two games into a series that can change really really fast. Um, but just from watching the games too, and and from any sort of preparation for the series, you could probably expect that it was going to be hard for those two. What I, to play together. What I did find interesting and is a credit to Quinn Snyder and Rudy Gobert as well. Toward the end of game two, the Rock, uh, the Jazz were protecting their lead and Houston looked like it was going to try and close super small. I can't remember if P.J. Tucker was at center or if it was Rhino. I think it was P.J. Tucker, but I could be wrong. They, the Jazz kept Rudy Gobert on the floor and eventually the Rockets had to go back to Clint Capella. So now it was all of a sudden this matchup nightmare in the Rockets was being mandated at, no, you have to play like this if you want to play against the Jazz. And I just, I found that, it was, I found it fascinating. I found it, uh, I guess it shouldn't be incredible that Snyder would stick with Gobert because he's your best player. But at the same time, I feel like there, you have to fight that innate desire to be, we're protecting a lead. Maybe we should just match up what they're doing to make sure that nothing goes wrong. So my hats go off to Quinn Snyder, Rudy Gobert, and I just, I marveled at it down the stretch that the the jazz were the ones who were basically dictating the t- dictating the terms of play. They were dictating too. They were dictating um, all over the place. <laughs> I think they've done that a few times this season where, uh, you know, 
I, I think a natural inclination of opposing teams is we if we go small, maybe we can run around and play Gobert off the floor. But they've been pretty good at, at sticking to it and sort of forcing the opposition to adapt to them. But but like you said, that's it's a whole different ball game to do it in the playoffs in in such a high stakes situation like it was, especially after giving up a nineteen point lead. It, uh, for them to just sort of stick to their guns was was really impressive. It's not even that. It was also well, it was that. You're right, but it was also it's the Rockets. They're supposed yeah, to be like the team that mandates everything. Like they are yeah. the matchup nightmare of matchup nightmares behind Golden State. How about Dante Exum, by the way? Oh man, I know you've got some sweet when he's defending. <laughs> Did you James see my stats? Yeah, I was gonna say I, I tweeted that the other day. Twenty six possessions. Uh, Harden's 0 for 8 in those 26 possessions, and the Rockets have scored 17 points when Exum's his primary defender. And the other day, actually it was just last night, I looked at <laughs> all of Harden's misses when Exum is on him, and there's a lot of ISOs. Um, it's incredible how long Exum can stay in front of him. He's doing all of his typical James Harden tricks, trying to get all over the floor and, and find the opening or, or find an opportunity to raise up and get a foul call. And Exum's moving his feet so well on every single one of those plays. And he's his hands are up pretty much the entire time. I think that's how a lot of defenders get in trouble. As soon as their arms go down, Harden just like throws his through theirs and gets the foul call. Uh, it's, it's like almost automatic. He's done a great job of just staying vertical, moving side to side. It, it's crazy to watch. And this is another thing that could flip super quick you know in one game James Harden could just go off and these numbers will be really skewed but what he's done in these first two games has been just really awesome to watch what was he had that crazy dunk at the end of game two yeah it, it, and to have and even Alec and Burks threes, so yeah Alec it, Burks it, has been awesome like Quinn Snyder just continues to pull these rotational rabbits out of his hat that was one thing that a lot of jazz writers and fans have talked about for the last couple of years is Dennis Lindsay has built in two straight years, two really deep teams. And there was a lot of roster turnover this year too. I actually looked at their continuity recently and they had like a 50% continuity from basketball reference. So 50% of their minutes that were played this season were played by guys who weren't on the team last year. So he's, he's compiled two different, but both very deep teams in the last two seasons. And and I'm glad you brought up Alec Burks because the stat that I kind of looked up about this series that I think could be pretty important going forward, too. There's only four players right now in the Jazz who have a positive plus-minus in the series. They're all bench guys. Burks, Neto, Crowder, and Exum. And if they can continue to outplay Houston's bench, I, I think that makes this series pretty interesting. Are you ready to walk back your prediction at all? I think we both had Rockets in five in this one. Yeah, I did too. Um, yeah, that's harder to see. <laughs> I still think Houston's going to win, but but I've reached a point where it's like, yeah, I, I feel like Utah can probably take two, maybe even three games. I mean, I, I could see Utah winning, honestly. I, I wouldn't pick it, but it wouldn't shock me either. At this point, the expectation should almost be that it goes to at least six, even if the Jazz lose. Just I can't envision them now losing three straight. Just like I couldn't envision the Rockets losing three straight. You had talked about before we jumped on that maybe Utah could do what it did against Oklahoma City type of deal. I just I can't imagine Houston losing so many games yeah, in a row. Yeah, that is hard to see. I, I don't think Utah's lost even two straight since um, January when that streak started. 
I feel like Utah just hasn't lost since Rudy Gobert Gobert came back. (laughs) Right now, 538 has uh, the Rockets as a 62% chance to get past this round. That's really not... It's not like an overwhelming favorite, yeah. It's not. Uh, the And some of this thing I'm still getting used to is watching the Jazz try and push the pace a bunch. They're fifth in postseason pace in possessions used per 48 minutes, and they weren't super slow during the regular season. I still think they were bottom 10 in pace. They got much faster in crunch time, but I'm just... This team is all of a sudden built to play so many different styles or, or is open to playing so many different styles because they're not necessarily that much different from last year. You lose Gordon Hayward, you lose George Hill, and you have someone in Donovan Mitchell who just wants to get up and down, but they still have a lot of the same personnel. It's This this team is so... I find them so fun to watch. Maybe I'm colored on that just because I podcast with you all the time and talk to you every day, so maybe I just find natural enjoyment in watching the Jazz now, but that's been one of the developments that I've been most just fascinated by as well and watching them. Not even that speed is their identity now, but they're just they're willing or ready or built or whatever you want to call it to play so many different ways. Yeah. And I think objectively they, they are a fun team to watch. I I feel like I've interacted with plenty of people on social media who aren't jazz fans that, that say that Utah's a fun team to watch the way they move the ball. Um, the way that multiple guys are allowed to create and are allowed to shoot and, you know, they lock down defensively, but it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like one of those early two thousands, defensive teams where it's just like a, a grind or a slog um i i think they're they're plenty of fun to watch but i might i mean obviously i'm more susceptible to bias here than you are so who knows i really want them to beat the rockets just because of all the hell that would break loose you oh have, man you have the reactions on that would be crazy just because chris paul will fail to make uh, conference finals again he'll be entering free agency you also if, if you're the jazz then at that point we would agree that they wouldn't beat the warriors correct but it's just yeah. what how do you react in the off season to then a team that just did this went to the Western Conference Finals? Because do you we talk about? I think about they, they could have... just be patient again. I mean, it's, there was a report not too long ago that they're kind of waiting for next summer's free agency. I think that would make them even more confident in doing that. That's maybe that's fair. I just wonder if there would be the temptation to kind of I don't want to use the word overreact, but maybe be a little bit more aggressive this year because you can kind of see that you're closer especially if you look at the western conference landscape and you see oh the blazers like kind of did weird things to their roster the spurs aren't the spurs did chris paul just leave the rockets it that's why i want them to beat the rockets though because objectively, i love chaos too yeah yeah. i I love chaos and i think rockets warriors would probably be the better series but give me the off-season chaos just give me that first and everything that happens from from there on that that's what i'm rooting for I will say this, I, I would pretty easily pick the Warriors in that series, but Utah blasted them more than once this season. Um, I, I generally- Lowe's knows you'll do it right, and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right too, with up to 40% off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, shower heads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Generally throw out regular season performance when trying to evaluate a playoff series, but they've, they've shown a bunch of times this season that they can play basically with anybody. Um, 
So they're getting more interesting by the week for me. Hey, and if Dante Exum is going to lock down James Harden, you can just throw him on Stephen Curry, and it'll be like the Warriors don't even have him. <laughs> exactly. What do you make of the Philadelphia-Boston series? The Sixers entered at, entered as incredibly heavy favorites, are now down 2-0. to Game 2 was gut-wrenching because they had a 22-point lead, I believe, and there was that three and a half minute stretch in this in the first half to close it. They had a nineteen point lead, and then the Celtics just went bonkers. Brett ba- Brown didn't seem like he wanted to call a timeout uh, to try and derail that momentum, and that really set the stage for a third quarter in which the Sixers just like the game was just Boston's by that point. By the end of the third quarter, this series. Um... The results have been kind of shocking to me. I, I picked Philadelphia in six. I stuck with it even after Philadelphia lost game one. Uh, I, I even <laughs> said it on a radio spot like a half an hour before the game tipped off last night. I don't know what Siri is trying to tell me about bacon for. You hungry? Um, <laughs> be quiet, Siri. Um, anyway. <laughs> bacon, that's fantastic. Yeah, that was weird. Um, yeah, so this series is surprising for sure, I <laughs> jazz fans are are relishing in it for uh, obvious reasons, but this this stat really is crazy to me. This is just raw plus minus in two games in this series. TJ McConnell's plus twenty one, and Ben Simmons is minus forty four. That's ridiculous. And I said over and over throughout the course of the season, uh, people would bring it up to me. At some point in the playoffs or you know, in some other high-pressure situation, some team is just going to not guard Ben Simmons and force him to shoot, and it's going to hurt him. And I kept saying, no, no, he'll be fine. If you've got the ball, you have sort of your own self-made gravity. He'll be able to get to the rim at will. It's not going to be a problem. Um, <laughs> it is officially a problem. I was I was definitely wrong about this. Seeing the way that Boston has defended him, especially in last night's game two, there there are some question marks that I uh, probably shouldn't have ignored over the course of the series with Ben Simmons. I, I mean, I still think he's a generational talent and possibly like a top thirty all time player. Um, but in the here and now, there's there's certainly some things that need to be addressed. There, it's weird because. I said, or I guess nodded to everything that you said about Ben Simmons over the course of the season, and I still agree with everything that you said here. The Celtics just seem uniquely built to exacerbate his issue of not having a jump shot. And one team is all it takes, and there will be other smart defensive teams that could follow this blueprint. I just, the the Celtics are so disciplined on the defensive end that this might say more to me about Brad Stevens than it does about Ben Simmons. He's also a rookie, and yes, I do think we've questioned his jump shot before, and I, Giannis Antetokounmpo for me, he would be next in line to grab LeBron's crown, and maybe he still is if he had a jump shot, which he just does not. He's more willing to shoot them or he's allowed to shoot them. I don't know what goes on in Philly with Ben Simmons. It's just you look at the way Boston defends, though. They punt 
on offensive rebounding, essentially, so that they can get back in transition, which is where Ben Simmons does a lot of his damage. And it's not even mm-hmm. necessarily transition. It's fake transition, where you're just you're in the half court, but the defense isn't really set yet. Like, they always have, like, one or two bodies just in the space around the middle, and their arms are outstretched. And Ben Simmons is visibly, like, suffering from it. It also doesn't help that Philly's... Offense looks completely, maybe it doesn't look different compared to what they were doing against the the Heat, but even when their threes were falling in game two, there just doesn't seem to be as much motion. They're not getting, I would argue, as high quality of looks, although I haven't really checked that out statistically. The Celtics are just everywhere, and so that's been my biggest impression of this series is, holy crap, Brad Stevens. And one of the th- he's amazing. The, that's for sure. The, one of the things that I just picture perfect Marvel at just look at the way he runs his rotations. Is you have semi starting at one point, and then all of a sudden he's not even playing anymore. Greg Monroe didn't play, I think, for two games, and all of a sudden got some minutes in game two. He just he seems to have a feel for how these matchups are going to work. He seems to have a feel for unlocking what certain players do. Marcus Morris, I don't think I've ever seen more engaged on the defensive end because he has this more of this freedom or is encouraged to do things on the offensive end, in large part, I'm sure, because you, you didn't have Hayward for most of the year and now you don't have Kyrie Irving. But you're just watching all these guys and even Terry Rozier, who I spoke with Isaiah Thomas a couple of years ago, and I remember him telling me that he was convinced Terry Rozier was going to break out like that year. He was just like, and if it doesn't happen this year, it's going to happen. And that always stuck with me particularly as Terry Rozier cropped up in these untouchable rumors yeah. where it's, oh, we won't give up Terry Rozier for Serge Ibaka. And to see him do it now is just, it, it everything is just nuts. Even Marcus Smart looked pretty good on the offensive end in game two. Brad, this is my long-winded way of saying, yes, I think Ben Simmons needs to get a jump shot, but the Celtics are just, they're a different animal. And this to me says more about Brad Stevens. And then of course their depth and, and their guys, they have good players. I'm, I still love Al Horford. He does literally everything for them, even when he's not scoring, but it says more about them and Stevens that to me, than it does about Simmons. I meant, or you mentioned Rozier and Horford. Um, and these, this is really easy to look up just their basic stat lines in the playoffs, but they're still pretty eye popping to me. Horford's averaging 18.4 points, 8.9 rebounds, 3.6 assists, 1.1 blocks, 1-3, shooting 43% from three, and a true shooting percentage of 69.7 in the playoffs. His box plus minus is seventh among playoff players. And this one's maybe even crazier. Terry Rozier's averaging 19.1 points, 6.9 assists, 5 rebounds, 3.6 threes, 1.2 steals shooting 43.8% from three, and has a true shooting percentage of 60.6. His box plus minus is fifth among all playoff players. That is <laughs> with absurd. With 100 points, uh, or with at least uh, 100 minutes. Yeah, it really is crazy. I, I think Stevens is rightfully gets a lot of the credit, and I'm with you. W- watching the playoffs, it's just like, holy cow, how did I ever – Doubt this guy. I, I picked the Bucks to win that series. I thought that Boston was just too uh, injury plagued to be able to overcome it. Like I said, I picked Philly to win this one fairly comfortably. Um, but they just every round, every month, like over the course of the entire season, they just continue to do what they do. They're they're incredible defensively. 
if somebody gets hurt, there's some other guy who comes up behind him and looks incredible. Um, it's just, uh, it, it's like one of the more well-oiled machines in the league right now. Do you know um, what their net ratings are for this series? Those two guys? Yeah. No, I did not look that up. Horford leads the team in net rating, 23.2 for the two games Jeez. against the Sixers. Terry Rozier is second, 22. That net rating of 22. That's just absolutely insane. It's only two yeah. games, but that, I mean, you're looking at game two, they were, they trailed by, it was 22 points. I, I really should have double checked this while they were talking. I think it was they trailed by as many as 22 points, and they didn't even look, that, not that they didn't look great in game one, they had control of it, but so you have that one game, and then you have to come from, but I just, it's two games, but it's it's just monumental to me at what they're doing. And then Al Horford's ability to make Joel Embiid just look less than Joel Embiid on the defensive end. You know, you know what I thought yesterday during that game? I almost tweeted out a poll, but I felt like it might be just too much for Twitter to handle. I think I know where you're going with this. Horford is better than Embiid right now, right? Yes. Oh, God. Oh, God. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I just thought, man, he's killing him in this series. And, and uh, Embiid's, you know, he's bigger. He has a higher ceiling. He's, he's more out there on social media it's just he's like a bigger personality but Horford just does every little thing you need a player to do in basketball he's incredible he uh, I think he deserves maybe as much credit as Brad Stevens for holding this together I don't think you can continue to play as well as Boston has without at least one star and Al Horford is a thousand percent a star NBA player I don't care if he only averages 12 or 13 points or whatever it is I, I mean, I think that's fair. <laughs> that's, such, that's such a crazy thing to say. I want to, now that I've talked to you about it, I think I am going to put that tweet out at some point, just to just to see the percentages. I mean, RIP your mentions at, <laughs> at that point. I mean, obviously, I think that Joel Embiid can become better. And like I said, I do think he has a higher ceiling. But right now, today, I think Horford's probably a better basketball player. The other thing I was thinking about while I was watching that game is they're obviously better with Joel Embiid. The, the on-off net rating stuff proved that all season long. But to, for him to be missing as long as he was and then to try to reintegrate the number of post-ups that he has, the number of ISOs, the number of turnovers, the number of missed shots. I mean, he has a lot of games where he'll miss more than he'll make. Um it's hard to just plug that much offense back into your system and for everything to keep working seamlessly. So I think there's, there may be a little bit of that going on too with the Sixers. Do you know to your Harford point where, and B's been okay offensively against Horford. That's, I think that's just a given at points. He's, it seems even when he's not turning the ball over, there are just so many clock sapping plays clock killing plays in the post or that he should be yeah that's what i mean passes. with the post ups yeah. yeah but on the on the flip side and i alluded to this before it's been just like Embiid actually looks overmatched guarding al horford just completely overmatched and so i looked this up while you were talking can you guess what al horford is shooting on the possessions that joel Embiid <laughs> has defended him and how many points per possession the Celtics as a team are averaging when Joel Embiid is defending Al Horford? Um, 
that's going to be a tough thing to guess. But he is near 70 in true shooting percentage for the whole playoffs. I'm going to say 75% from the field and Boston scoring 1.2 points per possession. Okay, you're actually closer on the field goal percentage than I thought you were going to be. Uh, Horford has shot 8 of 10 against Joel Embiid, so 80%. <laughs> and the team, this is 37 possessions, but still it's the, uh, I, I believe Embiid has defended Horford more than anyone else on the Sixers. I have to double-check that. But the the Celtics... When Embiid is defending Horford as a team, are averaging one point six points per possession. Oh my gosh, that's crazy! For thirty-seven possessions, that is that's nuts. just scoring at will. Fifty-nine points on thirty-seven possessions. <laughs> that's crazy. What do you think ultimately happens for this series? I had Sixers and seven, and I'm just not ready to walk it back yet. Mostly because I never walk anything back. Yeah, I'd say you're probably still in decent shape. With that pick, Sixers and six seems crazy at this point. I can't stick with that. Um, I hope they win in six now. Just to, you didn't stick to your guns and you get penalized <laughs> for it. I'm still gonna hold on and say Sixers and seven. Although I'm really tempted to switch it to Boston in seven. I, I they have proven me wrong so many times this year. I might as well give them one more shot. Yeah, it's uh, and that, but that's like we're gonna look like idiots. I feel like too by like sticking <laughs> with it. Um, the Cavs Raptors, I mean, do you have any really quick, do you have any thoughts on Warriors Pelicans? I've just, I mean, Uh, Stephen Curry exists and I don't really know what to, what what else to say about that. My thought on that was, and I think I already talked about this on the podcast is, um, I over, I overvalued the, the like on off numbers with Durant on the floor and Curry off. They were fine without him in game one, and the fact that he looked like himself in game two makes it pretty hard to see anything but a sweep in that series. Yeah, it, I mean, this would be the game. The game three would be the one that they would win, right? Yeah, that seems like the typical thing that you, you if you're going to steal one, it's going to have to be game three. Um, the one so, yeah, if they don't win this one, I, I would be shocked if the, they won. The way the they lost game two... And I'm not blaming it on the referees, but the free throw differential in this series has been crazy. There are minus 30 points at the free throw line in total through two games. Scored, that is pretty wild. Yeah. And they've only been to the foul line 20 times through the first two games. And if you're the Pelicans, you've committed to playing with speed. You've committed. That's your style. And if you go down that way because it plays into the Warriors' uh, wheelhouse and that's that's fine, but to go down, specifically in game two, where the, that free throw discrepancy was literally the difference. Because if you erase, what were they, a minus 15 at the, at the line and points scored that game, I can't remember. That's that's the difference right there. And a minus 30 for the series, that's actually more than the Warriors have outscored them by through the two games. Uh, Anthony Davis had said that he maybe he needs to go up stronger and that he needs to, I guess, be more aggressive in, in drawing contact. Maybe that's a solution, but that's a huge one. You looked at the shot charts of him and Drew Holiday. It just seems like that that's a crazy discrepancy. I'm not blaming it on, on the refs to say that they've been absolutely terrible. It's just for them to go down that way or for that to play such a big role in where they are now, that's not how you would want to lose because it's almost like we're prepared to lose if it's because the Warriors, we tried to match their style or we tried to play faster than them or they're – our wheelhouse like bisected with theirs and they destroyed us that's fine but but to have this happen at the free throw line again specifically in game two kind of sucks for them 
Yeah, I would agree with that. It's certainly something that, that would be tough to swallow as a player or a fan, that's for sure. Cavs-Raptors, though. Um, this one's a little surprising, too, although I we both picked Cleveland in six, right? Yeah, now it's it's basically, I feel like it's going to be Cleveland in four or five. I, I do, too. They look, Toronto looks helpless. Um, LeBron James it, is diabolical. <laughs> I'm just going to throw out that number I told you about before we started pod- podcasting today. Um, NBA math, total points added. LeBron leads the NBA. He leads all, all playoff players. 117.1 TPA. Yeah, that's, that's a really surprising part. What's just mind-blowing to me is that second and third place combined don't have as much TPA as LeBron James. And his current TPA would now rank 33rd if you just dropped it into the regular season standings. Can you please just tell me who's in third place in TPA? Because I get, I get a kick out of it. <laughs> Second is James Harden, which should come as no surprise to anyone. Um, but me and Dan were laughing about this before the podcast. Third is Terry Rozier. Um, <laughs> just so, like we all predicted. Yeah, back to the Celtics series. He's just been unbelievable. He... But, it's just crazy that second and third haven't done as much as first place. <laughs> second and third combined. It's just crazy. It, it's nuts. And he's been, if you look at the way he beat them in game two, where it was just he took, he didn't take a ton of threes. He attempted three of them. And he took these difficult jump shots that were just going in. It was just LeBron's will be done, basically. Yep. At the same time, he leads the league in field goal attempts in the restricted area for the playoffs, which is just He's played a ton of games, but just to be in your age 33 season and doing that is crazy. He's shooting 78% in the restricted area. And this is the thing that got me is ESPN Stats had tweeted out about him making um, seven fadeaway shots in the third quarter of that game two romp over the Raptors. LeBron is shooting 70.6% for the entire playoffs on turnaround fadeaway shots. That's just absurd. That's just absolutely nuts. And you it's just the and the other way he's getting his offense is almost eighty percent of his baskets have been unassisted. There's just not I've I've been like uh I don't even know what the word would be, angry, but just why can't LeBron just be the screener a bunch more and just roll to the rim? Because I feel like that's just a cheat code that is indefensible no matter who your other ball handler is in that scenario. Yeah, that would that would Basically, anything with LeBron at this point is a cheat code. All right, that, I'm that's, just looking that's at his run numbers, too. 34.4 points, 9.9 rebounds, and 9 assists in the playoffs. Um, here are his career playoff numbers. <laughs> 226 games, uh, 28.6 points, 8.9 rebounds, 6.9 assists, 1.8 steals, 1 block. <laughs> He's... it's. It's unreal. I know that we're both on the LeBron's already number one hill, but it's getting harder and harder for me to see how other people are going to be able to to deny that for much longer. The, I mean, the only really the only thing left is the rings argument, right? That's it. Literally, it. Unless people are just, but you would probably use the flopping argument, knowing you. <laughs> There are others who will use the argument about him leaving Cleveland the first time and buying his titles and blah, 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 blah. 
Um, yeah. There's just no and. I, I still admit there's an argument because I hate to it's reached the point where you have to prop up LeBron at the expense of Jordan. And yeah, I wanna... and Jordan's numbers are obviously just absurd as well. Yeah, I, I just don't know how you argue against LeBron now, though, other than he has fewer rings. And it's like, I understand that. And even if you want to overlook the first round thing, which I personally can't, LeBron just never being bounced in the first round. Yeah, that's crazy. He has been to seven straight NBA Finals for <laughs> f- for seven years, going on eight maybe. That's almost an entire decade, an entire conference. Half the league has come down to, do you have LeBron on your team? And if the answer is no, you just yeah. are automatically removed from the championship conversation. That's, it's, that's, that's crazy. crazy yeah. I, that, we didn't even go through that necessarily – during Jordan's heyday, where I was admittedly too young to keep up with the discourse, but you had, there were the teams like the Knicks and the Pistons during that time where you legitimately thought they were rivals. And I think this is really the first year where people talk themselves into, well, LeBron might not make it out of the East, or maybe that LeBron wasn't expected or assumed or guaranteed to get out of the East. How long has he been the best player in the world? The first time he led the NBA in box plus minus was 2005-06. His third year? Yeah. And even his second year, he was his box plus minus was 8.3, which I can't, I can't imagine the first place guy was too far ahead of him. Um, but let's just, for the sake of argument, say it was 2005-06 was the first time. He's, he's been the best player in the world for well, not well over, but over a decade. Yeah, oh, that's without question. And there's, could you even, let's look at the NBA right now. Do you think there's a player, as he goes into year 16, that's going to be better than him? Next year? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I mean, like, impact-wise, if Curry's healthy, maybe he has an argument. Harden. What it comes down to is, like... (laughs) Is it a, is it like a statistical who who had the best regular season, or is it just the best player in the world? And if it's the latter, it's hard to pick against LeBron. Still, <laughs> do you remember when people tried to make the Kevin Durant's better than LeBron thing happen last year? Oh yeah, how hysterical does that <laughs> look now? Um, yeah, that's that to me. That's never been here. Close. And here's here's an actual real question. Since LeBron has been the best player in the world, let's say his third year, even if you want to go a little bit later and make it like an even decade or something, you're probably wrong, but let's just, even if you want to push it that far, how many times has someone actually had a better individual season than LeBron James? Stephen Curry. Yeah, maybe two or three. Maybe two. I, if you, three would shock me. Stephen Curry I definitely had can, one of them. I think I can confidently say Harden had a better statistical season this year. The Curry one that you brought up is, I think that one's obvious. After that, <laughs> it's kind of tough. Did Harden have the better statistical season this year? It's because the Rockets were better, and I would once you get into the nitty-gritty team stats, I would argue, I'd probably agree with you. But I think it's closer than people think. I go I voted, hard on that, yeah. I voted for LeBron for MVP, though, so what do I know? I'm out here standing. 
<laughs> well, I don't think it's like a given that Harden was better. Maybe I should have phrased it differently because LeBron's numbers were obviously ridiculous this year too. But the, um, the, the answer o- to your question is not many. The other thing I found interesting is that LeBron has kind of picked it up a little bit on defense all of a sudden. Is it just something about he wants to demoralize the Raptors? <laughs> there is something about it with the Raptors, it seems like. He has, uh, he has defended Kyle Lowry the second most times of anyone on Cleveland. And George Hill is is first. He's defended Kyle Lowry for sixty nine possessions, and during, like in those stints, the Raptors as a team are averaging one point one nine points per possession, which is solid, about one point two points per possession if you want to say it. In the thirty four possessions that LeBron has guarded Kyle Lowry, that number has actually been worse, which I was surprised at was 1.2 points per... It's about the same. It's a little bit worse when you get into the decimals. The fact that he's on Kyle Lowry so often, and I think we saw it a lot more to close game one, is just, oh, okay, so LeBron's going to be on Kyle Lowry now. That's just that's just like a it's thing. It's crazy that, that he can, can still... Yeah, at age 33, they can still throw him on a point guard when they feel like they really need to stop. Because they were doing that with Derrick Rose, like, was that six or seven years ago now? Right. For, yeah, it's, it's for him to be able to do that still is that yeah, that really is crazy. And part of I think why the Raptors offense might be so good in those situations is if you have LeBron like not really roaming around and he's going to zero in on Kyle Lowry, you then all of a sudden have to rest on Cleveland's other defenders and it's just not yeah. going to be pretty that way cuz Kyle Lowry's actually he's only attempted 6 shots against LeBron. He's 2 of 6 and he's 7 of 9 against George Hill. So it's <laughs> I, I'm just I marvel at that it's even an option still is basically what it is. Yeah, that's wild. That's for sure. What is your so expectation? We, Did you? We both picked the Cavs for this series. Do you think it's over in four or five? You think it'll still go six? Yeah, I'm revising. I I, I said Cleveland in six originally. I'm going to go ahead and say Cleveland in four now. Cleveland in four. I don't even know if I'm ready to do that, but I can't say you're crazy. Game two was demoralizing. That was just like a we own you type of a game. <laughs> I actually thought game one was worse because they should have won that game. That's true. That that one could have been as damaging psychologically for them to be up and, and to then just get waxed in overtime the way they did. That that's true. Um I'm looking at the time we've been recording now because we went deep on the playoffs. Uh, um I guess we'll do you want to do a post mortem and we'll save the our final post mortem for a different podcast. Look at people getting a peek Works behind for me. live planning. Nice peek behind yeah. the curtain. I'll let you pick. We have Thunder and Pacers left. Who do you want to do? Um, I'm going to say the uh, Pacers because I like my stat for them better. <laughs> That's fair enough. Keep Regular season and playoffs combined. Um, Victor Oladipo had 13.8 wins over replacement player this year. Last year... Paul George, playoffs and regular season combined, had 9.5. This year he had 9.2. I I think the biggest takeaway from the Pacers season obviously has to be the fact that they won the Paul George trade, which for a deal that was just universally panned when it happened. um, Including on this podcast. Yeah, for sure. Shout out to Kevin Pritchard. I felt like I was almost on an island saying that they might be around 500 and competing for a playoff spot. He needs to do like a victory lap or something. I think Pritchard was even talking on TV at one point about how internally 
a lot of people expected them to win like 38, 39 games. So you were higher on the Pacers than the Pacers were higher on the Pacers. <laughs> yeah. But still, I mean, it's, I don't think anybody could have seen this season coming. And I said this during last night's game. Though the Pacers had to have been watching Raptors Cavs last night just kicking themselves. Because they had a chance to win that series, and, and I think they would have had a chance to beat the Raptors, too. I think the Raptors would have played Indiana better than they would have played Cleveland. Um, but if you're on the Pacers, there's no way you're watching last night and thinking that you couldn't win. No. Ultimate takeaway for me, though, is is it's just Victor Oladipo, Victor Oladipo, Victor Oladipo. He was unbelievable. Do you have any concern? Well, Here's the interesting dilemma with this team. So Corey Joseph opted in already. I believe he is the only. I believe Thaddeus Young has still yet to make a decision. They have non-guaranteed salaries for Bogdanovich. He's only guaranteed one point five million. Darren Collison is guaranteed two million. Al Jefferson is guaranteed four. Otherwise, they're all making ten, except for Bogdanovich, who gets ten point five. Thaddeus Young is a player option for thirteen point eight million dollars. I'm fascinated to see what he kind of does with that. Even if he opts in, the Pacers. Based off everything else, including if they declined the team option on Lance Stevenson, which I guess they wouldn't do. So I'll even I'll throw him in there because I'm looking at my cap sheets right now. If you assume they're going to bring Breck Stevenson, if you say Thaddeus Young opts in, there's still a team that's going to get to about thirty million dollars in cap space. That that's would, crazy. If yeah. if they get rid of those non guarantees, and you could keep if you decide you want to keep. I, I mean, even in this market, if you keep. Collison and Bogdanovich, that's going to take away total, I guess, close to 20 off the top. So you're 18, so you have like 11 or 12 million you could still work with. That's going to be big in this summer's market. However, is there... Maybe they should just sign Paul George. At 11 or 12 million annually? (laughs) Um, Sorry, keep going. I mean, he should probably want to play there at this point. (laughs) Uh, We've delayed the Thunder postmortem too long because I'm ready to... I'm ready to crap all over that situation that they have. <laughs> um, not even crap all over it, but that they're just a very interesting team because Melo is clearly a top five player of all time, and he should be starting. But digressing, is there an el- for you? Is there an element of we sh- they should just bring it back? You can get rid of Al Jefferson if you don't think he's a big part of your future. You'll save six million dollars there rather than paying him ten, or maybe you value him for the culture or whatever. Do you think they should just run it back, particularly if Thaddeus Young opts in, because then? One, you have all these guys just expiring at the same time with Bogdanovich, Collison, Joseph, Young. You'll have really bird rights on Bogdanovich and Collison if they prove to be uh, in, like indispensable that by that point. But also, do you just run it back then? Because not only are you flexible in 2019, but you need to give this thing another year before you're ready to double down or really reinvest in it. Because I, And that's where I stand on it, which is what I'm curious if you think I'm kind of going off the handle there or whether they really should considering the way the east looks and the way the free agency landscape is with not a lot of teams having cap space should they be aggressive on this year's market i i think it'd be pretty easy to talk themselves into running it back um you know all the depot is obviously still pretty young miles turner is young get another year of sort of seasoning with this group i think would be fine and the other thing i'm thinking about is which free agents are available in like realistic targets for the the Pacers this year? Paul George. Um, <laughs> I don't really know if there's somebody that they should like bend over backwards to be aggressive for. 
they're they're in the camp with their cap space where they might be able to poach. A, I'm saying quality restricted free agent, and I'm there's not really I'm looking a quality at, restricted free agent. Yeah, I'm looking at. I've I've looked at the list a bunch of times uh, lately. If, this if is, Thaddeus this Young is opts out, Aaron Gordon could be interesting for them. He would be interesting for them. That's true. Um, do you think Thaddeus Young is going to opt out though? I on I Andy, I have. I no guess idea. there's like a. Say that again. I have no idea. He Thaddeus Young was so yeah, good defensively this year that maybe he could get. Like he could. I think he could get mid level money. So if you get. If he could get like four and thirty six or whatever it would come out to be, that might be worth opting out for. I'm like twenty five players deep into hoops hypes free agent pool. And if you threw out Aaron Gordon, that might be that might be the one that like makes sense. It's hard to find any others that that really jump out to me for the Pacers. They need wings is the problem though. And he's not. A, he's Will not Barton's a unrestricted. Ooh, he'd be good there. Do you know who'd be, be an interesting, interesting dice roll, depending on how much he costs? Rodney hood. Yeah, he would. Um, boy, his stock has sure dropped in the last <sighs> couple weeks. He's probably cost himself a lot of money, but he, he would be interesting there. And he's probably, he, I think he's still too young to, to give up on that's for sure um his case gets weird though because if lebron comes back the Cavs will pay him whatever so you don't want to be the pacers and have to super like offer him a ton of money just to get the Cavs to think about it but if lebron leaves or i guess if they're really not using him and they make a trade with the nets pick that then maybe you can feel more confident going after him but if lebron is going to be back in cleveland it, it almost I, I don't know. Imagine if the Cavs just let Rodney Hood walk away and think about what's happening to that Kyrie Irving trade return that both you and I, I might have been a, a little bit higher on it than you, but we kind of commended the Cavs at that point. Maybe it was just rooted in thinking the Nets were going to be worse than they actually were. And if you yeah. let Rodney Hood walk, now you've officially taken Larry Nance Jr. out of the rotation. Uh, it's just... Which doesn't make sense to me. <sighs> It does and it doesn't to me. I get you want Kevin Love at the five, which I understand, especially against the Raptors. And if you're going to do that, you can't play balancing both Nance and Thompson off the bench is untenable. You can't yeah. play those two together. I know Lou has talked about, oh, Nance can play the four. No, Larry Nance can't play the four. <laughs> and I guess the way that they've been playing the last couple games, I, it's, I can't really gripe about it. Kyle Anderson would be interesting in Thad Young's spot. Oh, sold me. That's Kyle Anderson. That's the spot. If he leaves San Antonio, I want him in Indy. That would be, I think that would be super interesting. I feel like San Antonio is probably going to match on him, though. Depending on the offer, yeah. And he's, I talked about this with Bleacher Reports Grant Hughes on the podcast that you abandoned me for. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Your family was sick. Um, About, is there, I, I don't know how much. Kyle Anderson's going to cost. I really like him. You've come around on him over this past year, but is this come around? Check my check my tweets before he got drafted. I'm not giving you too much credit when both you and Adam were on here yelling at me for being in love with Kyle Anderson. Um, <laughs> is 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 it one of those situations where well he plays for the Spurs and if you put him anywhere else he just won't be as good? I think he's pretty adaptable, and, and I especially think that he would fit in in. Uh, Indiana, I can see him like hitting Victor Oladipo cutting off the high post and stuff like that. They, I, I feel like he's a pretty malleable player. And they encourage an in Indy, or at least don't dissuade 
like all those mid-range shots, which would be similar to San Antonio. Yeah. Like they, Indy That's feasted true. on long twos this year, and Kyle Anderson still hasn't really proven he can hit threes with any sort of adequate volume. Those are, but and they, the biggest thing with Anderson's value this year, at least, was defense. And I think that'll travel. He's got real. He's smart. He's got quick hands. He's generally in the right position. Um, I, I think he'd be fine defensively too. He, Maybe not as good as he is in the monstrous Spurs defensive system, but I still think he'd be good. Well, I would counter that. the The Pacers had the best crunch time defense this year during the regular season, and just because of how, how Kyle Anderson knows how to use his length, it would be the Pacers do play faster than the Spurs, though, and that might be where an issue could come in. Perhaps, but even as I'm looking, I thought, what was Indiana and Pace this year? They were like 24th, 25th. They were around there, so that's not too, you know, San Antonio is always going to yeah, be close to like dead last. Breakneck. Kyle Anderson, yeah. I'm yeah. sold. Kyle. The the other thing, they, and he's someone that you could, would you give him 12? If you That's probably the limit, though. If you want to reinvest in this roster in any way, and you maybe you want to bring most of the non-guaranteed guys back, Kyle Anderson would be a good target, or Rodney Hood. You won't have the money for Aaron Gordon then. But that's probably the limit, is if you want to throw this three- or four-year offer sheet at a restricted free agent who's fairly young and won't cost you more than 12 or $14 million, because I don't think the Spurs would pay Kyle Anderson that much, and I'm not even saying the Pacers should offer him that much, but that, that would probably be the limit for me, for them, to reinvesting in this roster right now. I don't want to see them become... I'm not saying Victor Oladipo is a one-hit wonder. He was a top-20 player this year. They may just have a top-20 player in Victor Oladipo. That may just be a fact of life now. But you don't want to see them become the 2013-2014 Phoenix Suns. Or you don't want to see them be put in this position with Miles Turner's extension-eligible slash going to be a restricted free agent next year. Uh, you don't want to see them now spend, and then all of a sudden you're paying market value for a bunch of contracts, and you end up like the Miami Heat, or you end up like the Portland Trailblazers, though they would be super extreme. Yeah, I'm with you. I think we've uh, sufficiently talked the Pacers post-mortem, unless you have anything else you want to add. No, I will move on to those two quick news items that I wanted to touch upon. Uh, Nikola Jokic is manager. I don't even want to attempt to pronounce his last name because I'm going to mess the hell out of it but his first name i believe is misco um recently gave an interview with blick or bleak sport and this comes from denver stiffs adam mares he basically said he the manager i mean said according to nba rules there are negotiations before july so until then they're only speculation like every agent i hope the maximum because nicola certainly deserves it both in terms of the dollar amount and the length of the contract of course there's also the possibility that nicola will not negotiate the change of the contract to stay for the fourth year with a small contract and then next year be completely free in the choice of a new environment this is certainly the most unfavorable possible scenario for the nuggets the next summer is completely uh yeah so nicole Jokic has a team option that the Nuggets could pick up and pay him just $1.6 million, or and, and at the end of it, then, he will be an unrestricted free agent. Or if they decline it, he'd be a restricted free agent this summer, where if you pay him the max, it's about $25.3 million to start, but you, you are able to match any offer he receives. So even if he goes out there and finds other other offer sheets, you know that you could just keep him. If you're the Nuggets, Andy, are you... Are you just, is this just a done deal? Like, you're everything that we've heard coming out of there, even with Tim Connolly, their general manager, saying some stuff at his exit interview seems to indicate that 
they're just going to decline the team option and try and re-sign him. But there is, when you look at Paul Millsap has a team option for 2019-2020, Kenneth Fareed will be off the books by then. If Wilson Chandler and Darrell Arthur both opt in this summer, they'll be off the books by then. The Nuggets could do some interesting things in free agency that summer with a small cap hold for Jokic. I think we, we've talked about this before, and I, at the time I thought, well, maybe if the relationship is strong enough, you can you can risk it. You can pick up the team option, pay him the cheaper last year, and then you have all this extra flexibility, and then you know you just sort of agree that we're going to re-sign you when this contract is over. The fact that the agent is already making like almost subtle threats <laughs> that if if you don't get it done now, it's it's not going to be good for you. Um, that would make me a little bit wary if I'm the Nuggets front office. And if there's any doubt, I, I think you've got to lock him up. Um, we talk about, or you know, I talk about on Twitter all the time, Jokic's numbers, and they're crazy. Um, he's 15th all-time in wins over replacement player through a player's first three seasons. He played 6,214 minutes in his first three seasons. The 14 guys ahead of him uh, played an average of 8,367 minutes. That's so huge. I'm trying to think of a, yeah, trying to think of a way to synthesize that a little bit better. He's done in about 2000 fewer minutes. What, you know, 14 or 15 of the all time best players did. It, it's just insane. And the only players who had a better box plus minus through their first three seasons, Michael Jordan, David Robinson, Magic Johnson, and Charles Barkley. That's it. He's uh, fifth all-time in box plus minus through a player's first three seasons. It's incredible what Denver can do with him on the floor. He is He's basically a walking 20 points, 12 rebounds, and 7 assists. And if there's any doubt that you're going to lose him, I think you've got to do whatever you can to make sure that you don't lose him. I'm with you, and just to contextualize it a bit further relative to what's happened to the people who don't think that he's a star now, he is fifth in value over replacement player combined since 2016-2017. He has led all centers in ESPN's RPM for the last three years, and he has finished ninth and fifth respectively over the past two seasons in NBA Math's TPA rankings. That, like, yeah, he's, he's incredible. He's He's incredible. I, I side with you there. I thought maybe the relationship might be strong enough, though, at the beginning of the year, just because you know Mike Malone did go to Serbia, I believe, last summer and spent time with him, and you read about all these pieces, how the Nuggets have basically treated him like family or that Mike Malone's a part of his family. But then you also, the questionable coaching decisions they made at points this season where you benched Nikola Jokic randomly in the fourth quarter, if there's at all a doubt, and from what his manager's saying, it seems like, he obviously wants to protect his client's future, and he's known. This was the other thing I took away from that piece and reading is that he's known to be an aggressive contract negotiator. What else are you going to say then? But if there's any inkling that you think that he just wouldn't automatically re-up with you or if there's just not something in place where he knows he's going to get five years from you next year, you have to do it. Really quick, I did want to get your thoughts on the two coaching hires that took place since we last podcasted. I know one of them is going to be both good and bad for you, but the Suns hired Utah Jazz assistant Igor Kokoskov 
Nailed it. Yes, I forgot that I struggled with it, but I studied a bunch uh, earlier this morning to make sure that I did it. What are you – do you think that's a – I know you're sad that he's leaving, but that seemed like an objectively good fit, right? Yeah, I think it's awesome for him and, and the Suns. He spent some time there earlier in his career as an assistant. I think that's where he became pretty close with Goran Dragic. And I think a lot of what people love to watch about Utah, he's going to bring to the Phoenix Suns. And if, if I don't even know if you could go back and find the games anywhere, but Slovenia was so fun to watch during Eurobasket uh, last summer. And he helped put uh, Luka Doncic on the map in a way that he wasn't on it before, and they won gold. It's the first time Slovenia has ever done that. Um, it's the first coach born and raised outside the U.S. in the NBA, so that's cool too. Um, just a, a lot of cool things with that hire. I'm really happy for Kakashkov, and I think the Suns got a good one for sure. I am very excited to see the Suns actually value the three-pointer now. Oh, yeah. Kakashkov is there. And, and I, I think they'll play a lot of positionless ball too. Like they'll 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 roll out lineups with Booker, Jackson, Warren, and maybe Don Cheech or, or whoever else they draft, and um, they'll be really exciting. I got into this on Twitter a little bit after they hired him. I still think if uh, I almost don't want that, someone tweeted this too that I almost don't want the Suns to get the first pick because let it the decision be made for them. If someone takes um, yeah like DeAndre Ayton, then then you don't have to worry about it. I you I'm not saying that you shouldn't take Ayton because you have Marquise Chris or Dragon Bender. I'm saying. It, like you just said, with the positionless stuff, I think Kakashkov could do some interesting things with Josh Jackson. You have Devin Booker, who would need to improve defensively, but you have Donkic. He can defend some wings. He can probably even defend some of the fours in today's NBA. Josh Jackson might be able to be put on some point guards. I I would just be all for that. And again, you do have a bunch of bigs on the roster, and there are some interesting bigs in this summer's free agency market, and you also have cap space. I am You sold me on Donkic, I think, though, and I, I have to study up more on, I probably know a bunch about the top 10 prospects right now, but I need to really delve into it more leading up to the draft. I would take him if, if I were the Suns. It'll be easier if they don't win the number one pick, but even if they do have it, I still lean towards Donkic there. And I think Aiton will be, like, he has a chance to be very, very good. But I'm, I, I think Donchich is, he, he's the man for me. And those positionless lineups, I, I was talking about this on Twitter the other day, too. TJ Warren's a ways away, and so is Josh Jackson, from being like even a league average three-point shooter. But if they got up to average, and you play those two with Booker and uh, Doncic, and then you have Dragon Bender, who can shoot some threes, yeah. you've got five guys out there who can stretch the floor a little bit. You've got multiple creators with Booker and Jackson and Doncic. Um, you know, TJ Warren can create his own shot, that's for sure. They, they could do some really interesting things offensively. They'd probably still be like two or three years away from being truly competitive, but you would at least start to see some seeds of, of good basketball there, I think. I am be less than lukewarm on Warren ever having a three-point shot. Jackson will get there before him to me. It I, is kind of late. But you, yeah. hit, you hit it on the head. For, I, I would probably be, high, be higher on them picking a big if, if Aiton was the one that could, one, create his own shot, and I, I think a lot of people believe he'll get there. The bigger thing for me is he doesn't seem like a defensive sure thing. And the the Suns have already kind of found that Bender and Chris aren't going to anchor any quality defenses. Do you want to take that risk again? I mean, again, he's he looks like he's going to be fantastic, but give me the guy who's going to have more control over the offense, can create his own shot, and create shots for others. 
Yeah, I'm all in on wings right now. That's that's my Same thing for sure. David Fisdale to the Knicks. And I think the biggest takeaway here, maybe the only takeaway, is that David Fisdale is not Mark Jackson. So <laughs> that's a win. That's, that's positive, yeah. A few things I took away from this really quick. I'm hoping the report from the New York Daily News' is Frank Azzola is completely false, that they're doing this to appeal to LeBron James. If LeBron, for some reason, wants to just talk with Fisdale and give the Knicks a meeting this summer, fine. But this would not... If that was the thinking in any regard, that is batshit crazy. I'm never inclined to give the Knicks the benefit of the doubt, but from some of the things that were leaking out, that they were talking to head coaching candidates about how they would use Frank Nielakina, uh, given how many different candidates that they interviewed, many of them I didn't like, many of them seemed confusing, but there were 11 of them. And that's a May culpa from last podcast where I miscounted and said 10. I like this hire. It doesn't seem like they did it for the wrong reasons. This doesn't feel like one of those classic Madison Square Garden wink-wink political agendas that are being carried out behind the scenes. David Fisdale, both you and I think he's a good coach. The Knicks' shot profile is going to improve. I am so excited for that. <laughs> uh, less long twos. Kristaps Porzingis isn't... He's he's learned when to fire away from deep anyway, but once he's healthy, uh, I just think that you're going to see a, a lot more freedom from him on the offensive end in the right way. Maybe they'll get in some more pick and roll, too. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm very interested to see what's going to happen there. The other thing would be, though, David Fizzle, I think, said on ESPN when he was on there a while back that the Knicks were going to have trouble recruiting free agents in the future because of Porzingis' injury. And then Michael Scotto of The Athletic reported that Fizdale turned down the Suns' job before accepting the Knicks' position. I find it then fascinating that he, I guess, is higher on the Knicks' job than he would be Phoenix's. Maybe he has more confidence in their front office, which would be not totally unwarranted. It would be a little bit weird to say something like that. Overall, though, I, I think this is a good hire. At the bare minimum, you can say this is a hire that cannot be universally hated, and in the land of Knicks, <laughs> that is a massive victory. Yeah, I'm happy for uh, for Knicks fans, you included. I think they made a good call here. It was It was certainly one of the better names on the list of candidates and I think you could probably make a reasonable argument that it was the best name uh, on the list he was really really good in that first season in Memphis I don't think he deserved the blame that he got for things completely falling off the rails uh, this season it, Memphis clearly made the wrong choice between Marcus Gasol and him in my opinion um, so I, I think they got a good one that's for sure and if they wind up with LeBron even better right I, I can't fathom if I guess if there was an organization that would think that way it would be them but I cannot even when you just look at their roster and, and what's going on and what he's even said about the Knicks and their culture I I can't even fathom them thinking that way can you be that daft maybe is well, the answer <laughs> <laughs> they still feel like it's like those big markets never they always feel like just because they're Los Angeles or New York they have a chance even though there really hasn't been a lot of evidence to support that in the last, what, 10 years? You had to overpay Tim Hardaway Jr. to get him in free agency. <laughs> you can't sit there yeah. and say that you're a free that's, agent destination. That's a good point. But, yeah, I'm with you. I think it's a great hire. Um, anything else we want to hit today? Nope. We did this one in under an hour and 10, which is good for us. We're trying to, we're trying to keep these to an hour, but we just we fucking talk, man. We talk. <laughs> well, an hour and 10 is... is uh, manageable 
So hopefully you guys will stick with us to this point. Um, as Dan always tells you in the intro, make sure that you review the podcast, rate the podcast, share it with your friends, uh, leave us ratings at all these different uh, outlets that we're on now, Apple, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, um, although... <laughs> <laughs> Spreaker, yeah, Spreaker. <laughs> Spreaker, yeah, we, we're we're all over the place. If you want to find us, you can find us. Um, just Google Hardwood Knox. Anyway, <laughs> until next time, we leave you with the shout out to Ben Udry and Kyle Anderson. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right too, with up to forty percent off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less Kitchen and Bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, shower heads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.